0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Happy Friday, everybody. I'm Holly Fry. And I'm Tracy B. Wilson. Uh, We hope you're having a wonderful week. Uh, This week, we talked about Lydia Mariah Child. We did. Uh, Who was fascinating. I mean, I I feel like I always say that word, but we probably wouldn't be picking any of the things we pick if we didn't find them fascinating. In her case, one thing I mentioned at the end of the episode that I wanted to talk about was like the, the lens of her writing, because often, very often, I would say, uh, when you read something like an abolitionist piece or something about indigenous people's that was written during this time period, particularly during a white person and particularly a white woman, there, there are some problematic aspects to it. There's certainly some some white saviorism and self padding that comes into play. Um, I'm not going to say her work was void of that entirely, but it is, it, to my read, and I wouldn't say I have like an encyclopedic knowledge of all her work, but based on the things I read, a uh, much lower level than other writers at the time. Mm-hmm. There's also an interesting thing about her that came up, and I couldn't quite figure out how to pop it into the episode without making a weird clunky side road, uh, which is that we have talked about before a lot of the the suffragists and suffragettes of the time period in those early phases. Eventually, like, they had linked up with post-Civil War, they had linked up with um, a lot of activists that were also working to get Black people the right to vote, right? But there was often that division of oh no no no, but white women first, right? She is the rare exception that was like, ladies, we can wait a minute. Like we got to get these people closer to where we are before we take another step. Mm-hmm. Um, which was interesting. She did not go to uh uh the women's convention at Seneca Falls, but a lot of her work was read there. For example, oh wow, yeah. Um, It's she's an interesting figure in that regard. Like she was very uh, influential in her writing, but I think because of her kind of sour taste after after working with various abolitionist groups, she kind of got this idea of like organized groups are problematic and I don't want to do that. I still want to talk about these issues and I want to publish all my stuff. But like, please don't please don't lump me in with a bunch of other people that. Think they think the same way I do because we'll find out we don't.
1: Yeah, yeah. So we got to the part about her, uh, her Boston Athenaeum uh, borrowing privileges being revoked, and I am a member of the Boston Athenaeum, I so know. I had this moment of indignance. Um, and I looked it up, and the on their website they have this whole big biography of her, and they're like, we definitely revoked her privileges. But it's not documented why. And there were other abolitionists who were members. So, question mark? And I'm like, still having my moment of indignance. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's really interesting because they had given her a free membership because of her, you know, her position. And in one of the the uh, biographies I read, it indicated that one of her friends was like, well, I'll just buy you a membership. And the Athenaeum was like, nope, not <laughs> welcome in our doors. And I was like, Wow. 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 Um, I mean, if I had to guess, it's really because she talked so openly about interracial marriage and women's sexuality and things that, even for abolitionists, were a little too far uh, at the time. I mean, like, when you think about someone, we did our episode on Loving versus Virginia, which to me is very recent history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you think about that and then think about someone in the 1830s writing about, like, no, interracial marriage should be a thing, you guys. This is actually yeah. going to help society in the long run. That's a little bit eye-opening in terms of of how sort of brazen she was with some of her writing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we've talked in other episodes about uh, marriages, specifically in Massachusetts and other parts of New England, between um, white and indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, in, in decades and even centuries before she was living... Um, and I think that was a, like a somewhat more socially accepted, uh, but interracial marriages between white people and black people, were, like, really enormously taboo. Yeah, it's it's interesting.
0: I I I think about to her marriage a lot and how she, I mean, clearly went into that marriage having thought about it and having thought about David's financial issues Mm -hmm. but i also wonder because she doesn't there's not really any record she's not someone who ever secretly wrote about i'm so mad at him blah 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 right Uh, so i wonder how she felt especially because she was so opposite of him in the way she handled money um and knowing that she probably could have been an extraordinarily wealthy woman based on the popularity of some of her work had it not been for the fact that the money was flowing right back out the door. Mm-hmm. I can't help but wonder, you know, about the alternate timeline where <laughs> she, yeah. she just makes her own money and isn't isn't connected to anyone else that that creates a um a spending spree element to that whole income.
1: Yeah, I um I also had just various mental questions about his whole libel conviction and what led to that. <laughs> Uh yeah, it's
0: um I mean he was brazen in his own way and he was a very outspoken person and I think he was emboldened possibly, you know, because he was a man mm-hmm. um to make accusations against very powerful people at times and that just did not always work. It also makes to me such a strong contrast between that Mm-hmm. And the way she worked, where she would be like, hey, this time I'm writing this essay that's going to get published in this place and the main readers are going to be, you know, Southern women. So maybe if I'm nice about how I put these things but still tell the truth, they'll start to see the error of their ways. Whereas other times she was just like, this is all wrong. You're doing it wrong. Everyone is wrong. <laughs> oh, no. Um, but <laughs> So it's a, that is a really interesting part of her story to me, just how kind of savvy she was about those things. Yeah. Yeah, I really, really do enjoy the frugal housewife. It kind of cracks me up. I would be her worst nightmare because I am not a frugal housewife. I'm like, yeah, I want that toy. I'm going to buy it. Whereas she'd be like, what? Um, <laughs> but <laughs> but it is, there's lots of good stuff in there. I also wonder if she ever knew a pack rat in her life because she might not be quite so like, keep every scrap, every scrap you have. Um, if she knew that it would go in a pile, like it would at my house, if that were the case. <laughs> So many things to unpack, yeah, with Mrs. Child.
1: This week, one of our episodes was on the Haymarket Riot, which, as I said, is known by a number of different names, none of which I feel like were actually perfect encapsulations.
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Not there's no one word that's, that's ideally illustrative there.
1: Yeah, there are uh, honestly so many different aspects of how the whole idea that a forty-hour work week is a full-time week and it runs from Monday to Friday. Like, there are so many different pieces of that whole thing. This could almost be a series. Um, and in terms of like the progression of that, uh, I don't know that the the Haymarket incident is necessarily the most necessarily the most illustrative one but it's also the one that just comes up over and over and over again in terms of uh, its connection to the eight-hour workday um, and also the fact that people have been asking us to talk about it on the show for a while. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, I, um, in the way that precocious children who think they're very bright and insightful often do, I remember asking my parents a kajillion questions about, how the work week came to be a thing and i'm like uh you know why is uh, as i've gotten older i'm like why is it not 9 to 5 anymore but 9 to 6 mm-hmm. <laughs> and the lunch got got taken out of the day um but like i remember my parents being like i don't know it's always been that way <laughs> yeah um even though in their lifetimes it i mean it still is not legally like that for everyone and certainly in their lifetimes there was still there were still things happening that, that impacted it, but they just didn't... They probably were tired of me asking a million questions. And they were like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anymore. Please go away. Do you sleep? Yeah, Please it, sleep.
1: <laughs> yeah. It is one of those things that just sort of feels like, in a lot of ways, that that's how it's always been. And it, uh, it's definitely not how it's always been. Like, when I was reading about the progression of, like, that May 1st uh, national strike... And then the May third uh, incident, where where police killed some of at least one of the demonstrators, possibly more. Something that I had read was like, you know, May third was the first uh, day back at work, and I was like, wait, but I'm confused. Like, I it didn't totally gel with me that this national strike that started on May first was starting on a Saturday because Saturday was a day that most people were working. Yeah. In industries that you know we might not necessarily think of being at work on a Saturday or a Sunday, so it like it took me a minute to be like, oh, that that part wasn't fixed yet either. No, no, uh, uh
0: you know, it's it certainly struck me uh, when reading over your notes just how many of these debates are still ongoing. We are For still sure. having the same arguments about capitalism and what it means to the the working class and and whatnot um it's weird to think about as we always yeah. say like we're still fighting the same battles
1: <laughs> yeah yeah well and I, I i said in the show at one point briefly that like i i had chosen this because of the whole uh eight hour workday connection but then also uh you know we are still having so many conversations about Um, the rights of workers in general and uh, how much workers are making versus how much their employers are making. Um, And then how law enforcement responds to protests. That obviously has been a huge, huge, huge issue um, for ages, but especially over the last approximately year. Um, Like, there are just so many pieces of it that I felt like this is almost a replay of something that could be happening uh, right now. Yeah, for sure. So, just as a weird, curious, not about researching the episode question, uh, when you were not having Saturday and Sunday as your quote days off in a week, uh-huh. um, how how did you feel about that work schedule?
0: Um, in some ways, I loved it because it meant that on uh, I had days off where things like doctors' offices and government offices and stuff were open. So, if I had business like that to take care of. It was way easier to schedule, to be like, oh, really? Well, I'm off on Monday um, and could, could run and do those things. It was also, you know, a time in my life when I was younger, so I would just uh, keep crazy hours anyway, even crazier than I do mm-hmm. now. So I think I was more resilient to like, oh, but my friends all want to go out to eat, and I will make that happen even though I have to work tomorrow and they don't.
1: Right, um,
0: stuff like that. I would just be like, "That's fine, that's fine." I just won't sleep. I'll go out and you know get get dinner and drinks and get into all kinds of shenanigans. And just, I could be up at nine. That's not a problem. I'm be, be <laughs> at my desk ready to go. Which is, I look back on it now, and I'm like, I would not survive a single week of that. But
1: yeah, yeah. I um. So in 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 one of the jobs where I was working, and I most of the time my days off were Tuesday and Wednesday, but sometimes not. And I did not know what it was going to be until the day the schedule was uh, distributed for, like, the upcoming week. It would be like, oh, I guess this week I don't have Tuesday off, whoops. Um, but also, most of the people I socialized with were people I work with who were all also working on Saturday and Sunday almost every week of their lives. So it was like... It was just all, we all just rolled with it. You know, it was very common for us to go out to the movies as a group on Tuesday night because most of us were going to be off on Wednesday. Um, But then when I eventually, uh, after I moved to Atlanta, um, I similarly, I was always working on the weekend. I was off during the week. And at that point, like, none of my social circle was working that schedule at all. And that did become harder to coordinate around.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, uh, one, I would go stir crazy if I didn't know my schedule week to week, I think. um, As much as I'm like, a, I'll roll with anything, whatever's fine. I like a little bit of structure. <laughs> like, I feel like I need a little bit of structure because I don't always have my own structure. So that, like, kind of keeps me from going completely off the rails and being like, oh, I don't know. I just decided to drive to Oregon this week. I don't, I don't know. um. So that would be tricky, but I imagine also doing things like scheduling, like doctor's appointments and stuff gets a lot trickier then because maybe not.
1: Yeah. I remember one time, like I had been in a pretty regular pattern of mostly having Tuesdays and Wednesdays off and that had been going on like that for a while. And there was something critical that I needed to do. And so I had mentioned to the scheduler person, hey, I've had Tuesday and Wednesday off consecutively for a while. I really, really just, I need that to be what happens this upcoming week because blah. Like, I don't even remember what the thing was. I just remember the schedule came out and I was not off on Tuesday and like just crying <laughs> in yeah. in the administrative office because it like, it was, it, it wore on you after a while um, to be like, even my one thing is not necessarily happening on that day.
0: Yeah, that would be tricky. I, I do feel very spoiled in that for a long time now, I have had jobs where I have the flexibility to be like, by the way, I'm going to leave for X amount of time on whatever day. Because yeah. I have a thing I got to do, you know, for whatever. Re- I mean, anything from a doctor's appointment to a vet visit to sometimes a haircut. To, um, uh, It's... It's something I do not take for granted because I know how many people do not have that level of flexibility. I mean, I remember Mm -hmm. uh, my mother-in-law is a career educator, and I remember talking to her about it and just like, no, it's not like I can leave students in the middle of the day and go to a doctor's appointment. Um, So, you know, really thinking about things in those terms of people that that are very beholden to, you know, whether they're clocked in or not, they're clocked in hours um, in a way that doesn't afford flexibility is, I think, one of the biggest p- problems we kind of face as a, a s- global society. Right, uh, right. The U.S. particularly bad about it, I think, based on discussions I've had with people who live abroad. But I'm sure everywhere has its its quandary areas.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, it's... if we could all live lives
0: of leisure, that would be great. That would be <laughs> ideal.
1: So anyway, that's uh, how the many things that were not why I chose this episode continue to resonate with me about it. Uh, So thanks for joining us for this casual behind the scenes on Friday. We'll be back tomorrow with a classic and then Monday with a brand new episode. And you can, you know, subscribe to the show if you haven't already on the iHeartRadio app and Apple Podcasts, basically anywhere you get your podcasts.